0: We're here in person. (laughs)
1: That was the most (laughs) abrupt introduction we've ever done, but it's true. We are sitting across a table from each other in your house, your beautiful home in York, Pennsylvania, for the first ever in-person episode of No Experts Allowed.
0: I felt like I just had to start.
1: Yeah, we're just too excited. It's fine.
0: Well, it's great to be with you.
1: I know. Literally the first time, I mean for us generally in years, but after so many countless (laughs) nights on Zoom recording episodes, now here we are, 84 episodes in. Our 84th episode is the first one we've done together. What a world.
0: Wow. It's crazy to think about all 84 episodes via
1: Zoom. Yeah.
0: Technology is amazing, but there's mm-hmm. nothing like sitting across the table.
1: Agreed. Well, we just ask that our listeners for the next few episodes that we're recording here in person. The audio quality will probably just be different because we're doing something for the first time. It's just gonna sound a little different, but we are in person and hope that energy comes through.
0: I hope so too. So let's get started.
1: Let's do it.
0: What would you do in this Particular situation. Would you want to always wear flip-flops with the Y-shaped strap or slides?
1: Easy. Slides. (laughs) Same. 100%. I do not like the Y-strap at all. I'm with you? Not even a little. I'll tell this story. We'll see if it makes it to the blooper reel or not. I when I'm working with my students we have a lot of late night meetings and two years ago we were in a meeting I don't know why but I wore just a pair of slides to the meeting. It was like a 9 o'clock meeting so I normally wore like very casual clothes but I was like walking while I was talking in this meeting and kicked off one of my slides accidentally and without missing a beat I kept talking without looking put it back on my foot and one of my RAs wrote me like a handwritten note <laughs> celebrating my skills in putting back my slides in putting my slides back on while leaving a meeting.
0: That is a skill. Yeah. I always think of slides because my cousin who just just went to college this year, he asked for Gucci slides. For Christmas one year? I was like, what?
1: <laughs> yeah. That sounds that sounds like something I would ask for. Not really. But just like an unnecessarily fancy version yeah. of a very normal thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: I think that's what he thought. He was like, well, this is, Christmas is the time. Yeah.
1: Not just slides. Like Gucci ones. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to ask for them, might as well.
0: Let's see if this has anything to do.
1: Yeah. I mean i know there's some stuff about sandals in the gospels i don't know if there's anything about flip-flops versus slides let's see this is luke chapter 3 verses 7 to 18 from the new revised standard version john said to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come bear fruits worthy of repentance Do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, What then should we do? In reply he said to them, Whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none and whoever has food must do likewise even tax collectors came to be baptized and they asked him teacher what should we do he said to them collect no more than the amount prescribed for you soldiers also asked him and we what what should we do he said to them do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusation and be satisfied with your wages as the people were filled with expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning john whether he might be the messiah john answered all of them by saying i baptize you with water but one who is more powerful than i is coming i'm not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals he will baptize you with the holy spirit and fire his winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his granary with the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So, with many other exhortations, he proclaims the good news to the people.
0: Well, thanks for reading that for us.
1: Yeah. I, for one, am glad that you asked about flip-flops and not thongs. I think that was a good choice. Thanks.
0: Well, what did you notice besides thongs?
1: <laughs> besides thongs, <laughs> yeah. So, I as I was reading this, it was really interesting to see how baptism was the first thing that happened. So the tax collectors came and were baptized and then we're like, now what? And the soldiers are doing the same thing. And it's really interesting. And I mean, I know it's easier for me to read into that some of my own beliefs about baptism, but it's this really interesting and powerful statement about, about belonging. I think that it's like this symbol and marker of belonging to this new community is available to you, even if you don't necessarily tick every other box, right? Like yeah. you're not, you don't have to confess the creed. You don't have to go to the membership class. Just like, come and be a part of what we're doing. And then we'll figure it out together, right?
0: Hmm. It strikes me that this community is so attractive that, like, Mm. people aren't even asking the question, like, what do I have to do before they join? Yeah. They're just
1: like, let me be a part of this. You're just getting swept up in this thing led by the guy wearing camel (laughs) hair and eating locusts and honey. And somehow, before you know it, you're in the Jordan River. You're just coming out and saying, whoa, now what? (laughs)
0: Yeah, and it seems like John has some, some harsh words, especially at the beginning. But people are still wondering if he's the Messiah. They're so attracted to him. Like, that's fascinating to me. That even despite this man's strange appearance mm-hmm. and, like, this weird activity he's doing, you know, dunking people or sprinkling
1: we don't know. We don't
0: know. People still want to join, and then after they're asking the questions about what effect this, this will have on their life. Yeah, that's, an, that's a really good point. Is there anything else that really jumps out of you?
1: I think the other thing, to connect back to your question, is John's realization that he needed to address... That he was not the messiah like it's one thing for people to start thinking about it and drawing conclusions in their own mind but for it to get to the point among this whole community that he's like hold up <laughs> pump the brakes let me tell you about what's actually going on there's just a real grounded confidence and humility in that situation i think in some ways at least through my modern lens it feels like john's a little hard on himself saying that he's not worthy to untie jesus's sandals but it's still this realization of who he is and who Jesus is and will be and being totally comfortable in that spot. You know, kind of like he's telling the soldiers to be satisfied with their wages rather mm-hmm. than extorting for more and more money in through proper means. It's like, it's almost like this encouragement to recognize who you are and what you're doing and be content with that and don't stretch or manipulate or extort yeah. to get beyond that yeah and that makes sense when we think about the tax
0: collectors like they're already collecting money and right. his is his admonition is like don't go get more than you you really need or are so, supposed to have and same with the coat right he's like if you have two coats well you really only need one coat yeah so let's give the other coat away you should be content with with what you have and what you're doing. The one coat. The way that John sees himself in relation to the Messiah is like both so separate. Like, look, that's a totally other, you know, amazing person, I'm not, I can't untie the thong of his sandals. Yeah. But also, it's it's simultaneously so, so tied in together. Like, mm-hmm. look, but I'm preparing the way for him. Like I'm doing something in preparation for his coming. It's helpful for me Especially, I think, as someone who, like, is, is thinking about ministry and going in that direction to think about that. But I also think that John offers something that's that's wider than just for people who practice ministry professionally. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's, it's interesting, too, to think about how some of our Anabaptist friends might respond to some of this passage, too. Because he doesn't tell... The soldiers to lay down their arms he doesn't tell the tax collectors to forsake everything related to the government but he says your job can be done in a way that is aligned with the values that we're talking about here with the good news that we're proclaiming I don't know that I mean the little bit of Anabaptist as you say the Anabaptish in me is a little I don't know if irk's is the right word, but it's just like it's raising some red flags with with some of that. But I think here you're seeing it in the context of with the tax collectors too, like fairness and equity. Just like don't use your position to benefit yourself. Like it is okay to do your job, but don't do more that puts people at harm.
0: Mm -hmm. Hmm. It's interesting to me at the very end, Luke says that John proclaimed the good news to the people. Mm -hmm. But this is like, this is all stuff you like gotta do or shouldn't, shouldn't do. So it's interesting to me the way that those can be good news too. Right. That like living into who they are and not exploiting others is also a form of good news.
1: Well, tell me, tell me more about what you're thinking about for application or the point of this passage.
0: Well, I've been thinking about
1: John and his, both
0: his title and kind of everything that I carry with me about John. And I wondered, like, what makes John an authoritative messenger? And with that, what makes people seem like authoritative messengers now that we, that we can become so consumed by them that even we can confuse them with, with the Messiah? We're like, maybe this is the
1: guy. Yeah. Yeah, that seems like a particularly relevant conversation to have about about politics right now. Like, that's immediately what's coming to mind, is so many movements have centered around this particular person being the, the one who can finally get it right for people who are oppressed, or the working poor, or middle-class business people or (laughs) rich CEOs, like thinking about how a person shoved into a role in a system that's been around longer than any of us can somehow be the skeleton key that kind of unlocks Hmm. everything that we've been looking for. And it's interesting too, to see how quickly people, presumably among John's audience in like a more insecure economic state, socio-political state, how quickly they glom onto him as like, yes, this guy, it's going to be him. And even we see some of this with Jesus too, of expectations of revolt and overthrow and all of that. But yeah, I'm curious to think about what makes people that attractive and that authoritative in this kind of setting too. When I think
0: politically, sometimes I I credit it to their their charisma. Like, oh they're they're a good talker. But at least with John, I don't know if we get any clues as to that's true. At least we what we have about John talking is, is like is kinda of scary. Like, it's yeah. not somebody you'd seem like you'd be attracted to. He calls them a brood of vipers right at the beginning of our passage. Doesn't seem like someone who you'd really be attracted to. She tells me that, like, that maybe there's something else. And that maybe you were hitting this point, too. That there's something about not their charisma, but what they promise economically. That may actually be what is so attractive. Less so than their words.
1: I know I've seen you posting about this related to Dr. Oz jumping into the Republican primary for the open Senate seat in Pennsylvania. But this this idea that how can how can a like TV celebrity from the city claim as he is doing to understand and represent the interests of rural Pennsylvanians? It just doesn't it doesn't make sense. And yet, I'm sure there are going to be a lot of people who say, Oh, he understands what I'm going through. Because there's this somehow this personal connection that we form with celebrity. That, mm-hmm. But at the same time, Seth, it's also really interesting to remember how John's story ends in the Gospels. Wait, say like, more about that? Well, yeah. I mean, it's the same for Jesus, <laughs> too, right? It's like yeah. this person who is garnering so much excitement and such a following, it doesn't take long for the pendulum to swing towards the end of, oh, this person isn't just exciting and deserves a following. This person's a threat mm-hmm. to the established order. Mm-hmm. And I think we see that with a lot of modern figures too. And it depends on, you know, if you're if your party's person is in power. The other party is like how can we they're a threat to what we're trying to accomplish like that, that's a, a cycle that repeats and flows back and forth constantly but it seems to be a fine line with being the kind of prophet and the kind of leader that speaks the kind of truth that is compelling to people who are in true need between that and being perceived as a threat by the powers that be that are often holding people in those positions to begin with. I don't know where that line is.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Me neither, but that was was a well-stated indictment of our current system that hasn't put anyone up who's really a threat. If I'm understanding what you're saying, these political candidates that we've seen recently can kind of achieve their following and especially be elected but they can get that far because they're not so much of a threat. Mm-hmm. They may they may be a, a threat to some or very few or lo, you know, little pieces of the way that our system sure. works. But they're not really revolutionary.
1: I they? mean, think about think about why Joe Biden was so popular in the Democratic primaries. It's like, oh, he's electable. It's like he's not as radical or progressive as some of the other candidates. Mm-hmm. He has a lot of experience. He has a long resume. We're seeing a lot of different candidates in some other spaces that have a lot different platform and profile that are just rising right up really quickly, too. Hmm. But for people like John, it becomes this interesting challenge, too, between what we're called to do and how the world around us responds to that calling because it's one thing to say you know I feel really called to you know as an expression of my devotion go live in the wilderness and have a very simple diet again of locusts and honey and make my own clothes out of camel's hair it's like it's one thing to do that but as people become attracted to it and respond to it what does that then say for their ability to pursue that calling honestly in the first Mm -hmm. place? And I know we, you know, we could talk about this Mm -hmm. from a, like a quote professional unquote ministry experience. But I think that's true for all of us as we consider our calling to follow what God has put in front of us to do is thinking about, it's one thing to actually do this. I can I can control my response to that. Can't necessarily control what my faithfulness will prompt or provoke in others. Mm. Especially mm. if we're seeing things happening on a larger scale. Yeah, that's a that's a
0: really helpful point for me because I was just thinking about the way that politicians make promises. And I was wondering if Kind of part of the antidote to this is like making promises that you actually think you can fulfill which i think is part of it but you're adding a, another layer to it that actually you know even when we make these promises people respond and we can't control that yeah yeah that's helpful that's an angle i hadn't i hadn't thought about yeah hmm when I was thinking about these promises, I was thinking about John. Like, who's who's clear about what he can and can't do and who he is. Yeah. I mean, this is no secret that politicians make promises all the time with either no intent to fulfill them or assuming that they're probably not going to fulfill them. Right? Yeah. They'll be blocked by the system. One of the things we can do, whether we're doing ministry, quote, professionally or not, is to be careful about what promises we make. Mm-hmm. To be careful about the ones that we say. To be clear about who we are and what we stand for. And to watch kind of how others are responding, I guess. Mm-hmm. And to be like John. To be willing to to reset their expectations at some point. Yeah, I'm thinking about with Joe Biden and his promise to eliminate some student debt well you know, we're over we're almost a year in mm-hmm. over a year since since election day i haven't heard much else about eliminating yeah. student loan debt I mean, so i think it it would have been helpful if he had if he had made promises that he that he either intended to keep or thought he could keep there's a lesson there for all of us about the ways that people can buy into what we're selling even if we can't do what we're selling
1: Mm -hmm. so i have one more question seth as we've been doing the past couple episodes i'm curious to hear your thoughts about how this passage connects to advent because i know you know we're talking about the expectation of christ coming that's pretty clear in the passage but what do you think This can teach us in a season where we are asked to wait and to be expectant and anticipate what Christ may do. Just like we see in our story
0: that people want to see John as the Messiah, I still think we have that temptation, Mm -hmm. if not to see them as, as the religious Messiah, to see them as political ones or... Or even to see doctors as, like, as you know healthcare ones, people who can heal us miraculously. So I think the key is always to ask who who really is this person? and what should I really be looking for? I don't know if that was a definite specific answer to your question, but I think the question for me is always who who is the Messiah? Who am I really worshiping, and who am I really waiting for? Yeah. So, th- for me, this passage gave me more questions to ask.
1: Right. Yeah. And I think there's this also this question, too, of, as you're saying, in whom do we place our hope? And at the same time, I don't think having hope in Jesus excuses us from paying attention to those other things that matter as well. And so it, it becomes a question of how do we prioritize? How do we correctly order our, our loves, right? How does our love for God inform our love for neighbor? Even in ways that go beyond what feel like, you know, things that you might do with someone who le- lives nearby to be nice to them but thinking about advocating for your neighbors who whose voices might not be as strongly represented in the halls of power. I don't know about you, I need to pray about that. Yeah, me
0: too. Stir up the wills of your faithful people, Lord God, and open our ears to the preaching of John, that rejoicing in your salvation, we may bring forth the fruits of repentance, justice, and love through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.
1: Amen. Thanks, everyone, for joining us, especially on this first attempt at recording in person. But we're so glad you're part of this conversation, too. Next week, we're taking a look at one of my favorite passages of Scripture, the Magnificat, found in Luke chapter 1, Verses 46 to 55, this is Mary's song. Can't wait to get into it. But Seth, thanks for walking us through that story. Thanks for helping me tell it.
0: I've only heard this story secondhand, but years ago, when the then Lutheran Theological Seminary at Gettysburg got a new dean, the president welcomed the new dean, saying, you have big thongs to fill trying to make a joke about like you have big shoes to fill but with like a biblical twist (laughs) and apparently everybody was like oh you cannot you cannot say that that one does not
1: work no that's almost (laughs) as bad as our president who when doing our ceremonial fountain turn on where they turn the water pressure way up and shoot the water out of the fountain really high up in the air and spray. It's just like the symbol on campus that spring is here. He said in a video online, let it squirt. Which, as you can imagine, became a clip used in many TikToks from there on out. (laughs) Why why do people make these kinds of decisions? Like, is no one telling them that that's not a good idea? That's got to be what's happening, right? I think,
0: yeah. I think this is when you just let these leaders up to their end devices there's no pr
1: people it just when it just happens